When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Looks like he's going to take off himself and he will get to the 20, to the 50. Still going, Riley up in the air. Touchdown, Eskimos. How do you like them, Apple? Breaking away is Connor McDavid barreling down the right-hand side to the net. Rick Dodd Beautiful end-to-end rush. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. So what do you believe? Do you believe the Oilers can go through the entire season with a shooting percentage of five? Do you believe that is possible? If you do believe that, then you're probably pretty darn pessimistic about the rest of the year. If you don't believe that, then you're probably excited to see how they're going to do on their upcoming five-game homestand. Also, the Eskimos back at practice today. They play Calgary on Saturday. Kicker Sean White. Oh, how they have missed him. He's back at practice, getting close to returning. Running back C.J. Gable will play against Calgary on Saturday. We'll have the latest on that. And you'll hear from your quarterback, Mike Riley, coming up after the 6.30 news. Hey, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins, and I live in a van down by the river. Game two of the World Series about to get underway. You can text 630-630. The phone number is 780-496-0063. Some Oilers chat coming up. But there's a loyal listener to this show who calls every week or two. And lately, he started calling while the news is still on. That's how eager John is to get on Inside Sports. John, the floor is yours. Reed, it's an honor to open your show again. And I, and I can hardly wait to hear Mike Riley's comments because... I. My comments have to do with the coaching staff for the Eskimos and what a tremendous job they have done. And, and you know, you got some of that on the coaches' show when, when Jason Moss was talking about how difficult it is to get the lineup and the rosters and the ratios and, and how their plays are limited. And I thought that when he commented on that, it was, it was just so truth uh, ridden with it, you know, how they've dealt with it. And so uh, you get these comments where his sideline behavior is off the wall. Well, you know what? Uh, occasionally he, he gets upset. He's a, he's a competitive guy. <laughs> he will never give up. And if you want to talk about sideline behavior, Chris Jones has about 32 of those a game, and Wally Brona has a perpetual heart attack expression. So I, I don't worry about that. The kind of TSN focuses on that. To me, the story for this year with the Eskimos is the story of a great group of character guys playing and character guys coaching and the GM. And it's amazing when you think of all the turmoil and read they're getting better. Guys are coming back. All of a sudden, the secondary is playing well. 
the linebackers are playing well. We're going to get a kick returner coming in. We got our, our field goal kicker coming on. Holy cow. Things are looking up, Reed. And as far as the 5% shooting on the Oilers, uh, everybody chill out, man. We got, we're getting good scoring chances. It'll start going in the net. John, do you want to come host the show some night? Hey, I'd love like to. You're do far that. better than I am. <laughs> Reed, I just I wanted to ask you how your comedy stint went. <laughs> oh, I, I felt pretty good about it. Uh, I, I felt I delivered it the way I wanted to, and, and some people laughed, so I was happy. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> Listen, it's a treat to talk to you. I can hardly wait to hear Mike Riley and everybody lighten up. Things are going on the upswing here. Right on. Thanks, John. Okay. Much appreciated. That is John, 780-496-0063. He's, uh, he's, he's enjoying it. Uh, the Eskimos, you know, what a year. Win seven, lose six, now win three. Calgary coming up on Saturday. They will be in the playoffs. We don't know where they're going. And uh, obviously, uh, he's, he, he figures the Oilers are going to get better with that shooting percentage. I will get to that, but because he brought up Jason Moss, uh, I just want to uh, riff on that for a second here. I asked Blake Dermott the other night, you know, Moss was uh, on camera in BC uh, yelling at uh, Cody McDermott, the the special teams coordinator for a bit there. And Blake made the point that they they always have a camera on Moss now because, you know, it's 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 a self-perpetuating story. Anytime Moss yells or does anything, they're going to show it because that's become, become his narrative. He's the fiery guy. And he is a fiery guy, but as John mentioned, so are other coaches, so are other players. Their antics don't always get shown. I think we're at the point where Moss's always get shown. Now, my take on this is I thought the, the headset throw against Calgary uh, on the Labor Day rematch, I do believe that was excessive. I, I do believe that was over the top. And I and I don't think that was a good example for his team in that moment. And then obviously there were some discipline issues in the fourth quarter that cost the team the game. I think that was excessive. Uh, I also think all coaches yell and can get fired up. And we also have to remember this, besides it being a storyline for the TV people, last year the Eskimos uh, had that whole flap where they, they, uh, they didn't want to wear the live mics in that one game. And then they wore them later on. TSN broadcast the game. I mean, let's face it, every opportunity TSN has to get back at Jason Moss or to embarrass him or to make him look silly, they're going to take that opportunity. So we have to remember that as well. Yes, Moss's uh, behavior is big sometimes. Yes, it's angry sometimes. And that television network is going to make sure they show it every single time. Because they got it in for the guy, and they probably have it in yeah, for the Eskimos. But anyway, uh, maybe that's a, a fuller topic for another day. It is 612 Inside Sports on 630 Chad. Really appreciate you uh, tuning in tonight. Again, you can text 630-630. The phone number is 780-496-0063. So, like I said off the top of the show, what do you believe? Eight games in for the Oilers. That is, yes, 10% of the season. That's a pretty fair chunk. They're 2-5-1. and one. They only got a quarter of all the available points, 5 out of 20. That's not good. The goals against per game, they are 20th in the league. Not that great, though certainly it's been better lately. Goals for per game, 1.88, 31st in a 31-team league. Uh, Again, the shooting percentage for the season is 5 which is actually better than Montreal's, though Montreal is now ahead in goals for per game. The shooting percentage on the road trip, last three games, this is hard to believe, 4.16. While Talbot's save percentage was 949. So 
and, and Talbot's save percentage is actually now up to nine fourteen for this for the season, which I which I think is realistic that Talbot can come in between nine fifteen and nine twenty. The Oilers are and, and yesterday, I thought that was actually a really good game. I thought it was an entertaining game to watch. I know it wasn't any less frustrating for those of you waiting for the team to maybe score, oh, I don't know, a goal per period on average, maybe more than three per game in, in, at one point, which they haven't done. But they got some chances. Murray was really, really good, as was Talbot. I, I get the sense that probably sooner rather than later, there's going to be a breakout game. It helps having Dreisaitl back in the lineup. And look, Rob and I took uh, a ton of calls last night on where should Dreisaitl play. And I, I made the point that, look, all of you care about how the team does. Until something really starts clicking, there, there's really no wrong answer. If, if you want to try, if you want to try Dreisaitl with, with Pakarinen and Slepeshev, then okay, that might be the combination that works. But the thing is, Dreisaitl back in the lineup makes them a better offensive team, whether he's centering a line or whether he's on McDavid's right wing. And I think, as you saw yesterday, the, the, whoever, whoever Dreisaitl was centering, I mean, he was with Yamamoto and Kajula. He started with uh, Kajula and Latestu, then was with Kajula and Yamamoto, and then the last 10 minutes he was with Bruno McDavid. Whichever line he was on was getting something accomplished. Maybe not to the level that he and McDavid do together, but you, you saw the impact that he had being back in the lineup. So I think just having him back, back on the power play, and the team working at some of the defensive issues, feeling more confident in their goaltending, more confident in their own end, leads me to believe that this dry trend is going to end at the offensive end of the ice. I just uh, look. I, I don't. I don't know how much it's going to come through. I don't know if they're going to be eighth in the league in goals for like they were last year. I can't see them staying at a five shooting percentage and under two goals per game because you're going to catch opponents in slumps. You're going to cash in on multiple power plays at some point or have a good power play stretch where you score five power play goals over three or four games. But they just have to be determined to keep working at it, and I think they are. Got the defensive part of it um, cleaned up somewhat, which is a, a good sign. Uh, we'll get the offensive part of it cleaned up. Um, like I told them, between the second and third, they've all scored 70, 80, 90 goals in some league. You don't make it to the NHL without doing that, no matter if you're a checker or not. Um, it's just remembering how you did it and what it felt like. And uh, right now they feel like they, uh, you know, they're jamming away and, and having some poise around the net sometimes is a nice thing too, but it'll come. All right, and your Oilers report brought to you by Niskew Ford. Every model on sale every day, Niskew Ford above expectations. Don't forget, tomorrow, 5.30 face-off show game at 7 here on 6.30. Chet, Oilers against the Stars. We have the doubleheader on Saturday. We'll start at 3.30 with the football coverage. Stampeders in town to play the Eskimos, and then at 8, we'll go to Rogers Place for the Oilers and the Capitals. Quick timeout. Phone number 780-496-0063. Inside Sports on Chet. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Two on one, Pittsburgh, Castle, Malkin back to Castle, backhand denied by 
by Cam Talbot, and Castle just couldn't get it cleanly on his forehand. Talbot with enough time to recover, flash out the left pad, and we're still scoreless. Rebound taken by Latestu. He'll swing it out to dry subtle. Left bump calling. Instead, it's dealt right side. McDavid in front. Lucci back door. What a save made by Ian Cole. And somehow Murray able to keep it out. Open net shot. McDavid. That was blocked and deflected out of play. Murray had at least two saves made by players rather than he himself. Drilled down the ice by Kajula. He's got McDavid. McDavid has Kajula all alone in front. Dishes one-timer cleft bomb and smash into the pads of Matt Murray. Kick back to the point. Cole winds. Shoots with a reset score. one nothing Pittsburgh. Maroon down the middle of the ice. McDavid left circle. Shot. Score! Tie game. Connor McDavid blisters it inside the right post. Gino Malkin with left ball back defensively. Drops it off to the net. Kessel shoots and scores. And Pittsburgh wins the game in overtime. 2-1. Your summary from last night, Jack Michaels with the call here on 630 Chet on the Oilers Radio Network. Penguins over the Oilers 2-1 in overtime. And look, there were some big concerns going out on the road trip. The goaltending, the penalty killing, and the offense. Penalty killing actually went 9-10 for 10 on the road trip. They did allow that one goal in Philadelphia. The offense, obviously still a concern. The goaltending, as I mentioned, Talbot. A 9.49 save percentage on the trip. They got to start going in eventually. I mean, we had so many chances tonight, and Murray made some great saves. We missed some open nets and some good looks. So, I mean, they're going to come eventually. I just have to focus on what I'm doing and keep giving us a chance. Yeah, I feel pretty good. I feel confident. I feel back to the way I I was, I think, to finish the year last year. So hopefully I can just uh, continue to keep playing well, and and uh, hopefully soon we'll, uh, we'll find some goals off run. I know we will. Cole from Athabasca texting 63630. He says, I think the Oilers not scoring is a matter of a matter of little to no puck luck, hoping it turns around. That's Cole from Athabasca. You know, Cole, I, I think you make a valid point, and I always hesitate to say it comes down to luck because I think talent, hard work, execution, finish ultimately tell the story. But I think we all know that in hockey, sometimes just something unusual happens or something weird happens and it goes your way. And the Oilers have been around the net more on the road trip than they were on the homestand. And they haven't got that puck that was going 10 feet wide and goes in off someone's back or a funny bounce off the glass that gets to a two-on-one or something like that. And usually when, you know, those come when you're maybe you're playing a little better. Um, but, you know, you're right. They haven't kind of got one sneak through that you didn't expect to go in. Scott says, Reed, I predict the Oilers will come out swinging tomorrow against the Stars. I feel a shift in mentality in the team. And even though they are losing, their scoring chances are getting better. And, oh, Scott's putting out a prediction. Write this down, Dustin. Scott predicting 4-2 for the Oilers. Please jot that down. But if Scott is wrong, I want you to throw out the paper immediately because we never have wrong predictions on this show. Drew says any team can go 2-5-1 during an eight-game stretch. It's just magnified when it's the first eight. Let's hope the next eight are better. That is from Drew to 630-630. We have Beverly calling in tonight. Hello, Beverly. Hi, Reed. How are you? Doing great. Good. I just want a couple of quick comments. Um, I think that they should put uh, Dreisaitl right back up on top line with Connor. Uh, let's get a few wins, get to 500, and then we can move him back to second line if things are starting to go good. Uh, and I think Amamoda 
Amamoto uh, would do well on the second line with uh, Nuge because he has speed, he's smart, and, uh, and so is Nuge. So I think it might be a good tryout to do that, and uh, let's see if they have two good lines there. Yeah, fair comment. Well, like I said, there's no bad suggestions till they till they start scoring. I still don't know what's going to happen with Yamamoto. Yeah, uh, it would have been nice if he could have finished that one from the side of the net last night. Oh, but but I he but yeah. he 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 appears to know where to go. Yeah, you know I know he still needs some polish in his game and and oh, experience yeah. will come. But he's <laughs> yeah, and he's, he seems to know the right thing to do. He so, is he's smart and he's fast. You know. And um, I don't know. I think he might help Nuge's line. You know, I don't know how long he's going to stay up. He only has one more game, right? Nine games. But uh, anyway, let's get Drysdale back up on the top line. Let's get back to 500, and then we'll see, you know, where we go from there. Beverly, thank you for calling. That's Beverly. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. World Series is underway. Uh, we'll keep you posted on that one. No score, Houston and Los Angeles. And later on tonight, Kevin Carries and I are going to interview Terry Poole, one of Canada's greatest ball players of all time, former Houston Astro. So you know who's he po- who he is pulling for, and uh, from Melville, Saskatchewan. Just like Kevin, that's a pretty great story. But yeah, the Oilers searching for some sort of offense. I mean, Latestu got absolutely robbed by Murray last night. Hopefully, it was exciting. You know, playing it was seemed like there was a lot of chances. Uh, but I thought that was as well a played game as we've had this year. Uh, we need a little bit more finish around the net, some of the opportunities. But it's a good hockey game, uh, and if we continue to play that way, uh, eventually we're going to get some results. All right, so that is Mark Latestu, very close to his third power play goal last night. Oilers and Stars tomorrow night. Dallas had a bit of a goalie kerfuffle last night uh, with Ben Bishop not happy about being pulled by Ken Hitchcock, so that'll be a story going into that game. Furnace Family, Oilers Hockey, Edmonton's Furnace Family experts call 7804-FAMILY or visit FurnaceFamily.com. We'll sign on with the face-off show at 5.30. The game will start at 7. All right, more of your feedback on the Oilers as we move along. Tonight, I'll bring you your Eskimos injury update, and you will hear from your quarterback. Mike Riley led that incredible comeback on Saturday, now getting set to face a team that he hasn't beaten very much. The Eskimos haven't beaten very much over the last decade. The Calgary Stampeders are here on Saturday. Inside Sports on 630 Chet. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Justin Verlander pitching for Houston tonight, or as I like to call him, Mr. Kate Upton. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. We'll get to Mike Riley right away. Jared, I, I'm making Mike Riley wait so I can take your call. That's how much I like your phone calls. Okay, you're my <laughs> fantastic order. <laughs> I, I just I just got a question for you Rick. you're around the Oilers the last uh, several years and everybody wants to send Yam- Yamamoto back to junior and we sent Boyardi back to the minors and he didn't really improve that much down there so the question is do you think he's, he's going to benefit that much by going back to junior and for the past Oilers guys like Everly or Nugent Hopkins I don't think it was a matter of them being sent to the minors I just think they needed better players around them to improve. So for a guy like Yeti Pogliarvi, I think he's got to play on the second line in the NHL in order to improve. I don't see how the minors is going to help them or playing in the third or fourth line in Edmonton. Well, that's a good question. I, I think, Jared, and 
and I, I for this I'm going to give my opinion with a little bit of mixed of mixed in on my impression of things Shirelli and McClellan have said. I think with Puliyarve, they just feel like he wasn't kind of thinking the game very well at the NHL level, like wasn't quite up to speed. Like even in the preseason, you'd sometimes see, you know, the puck, the the, the passing lane was you know, at 2 o'clock, and he kind of didn't take a look and just threw it to 3 o'clock, right? Like, I don't think they felt he was kind of reading the plays properly and knowing where the, where the puck needed to go. So I think that's why he went down. Now, the question of would Yamamoto improve more in the NHL than opposed to being in junior, that's actually a really good question. I don't think anybody's put it to me or Rob maybe to have this to offer that way exactly. I think if, I mean, if Yamamoto goes to the WHL, can we agree he's going to dominate? Yeah. So does that make him a better player? I mean, I still think he would be able to work on things, would be able to push things, but yes, he would not be I mean, he 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 some nights he would just get 5 points because he'd be that much better than everybody. Um, but I just think that some at some point with Todd McClellan, there seems to be maybe where he lacks the patience with the younger players, and I think with Yepsi Poliarvi, he has to be allowed to make mistakes to get over that tipping point and break and find his confidence. And I think he only can do that if he's maybe on the first or second line. He screws up, but he keeps getting put back out there, and eventually he breaks through. But I don't, like with Yakupov, when he was in Edmonton, every time he'd screw up, he was riding the pine or he was out of the lineup. And I still think that Nail could possibly score 20 goals in NHL. But I think that when he was in San Jose, he had all those veteran guys, and he just doesn't have... The, the patience that I think is needed with some of these young guys. Well, first of all, that's a fair point, but I, I would counter with this. So this is I, this is a real. I really like this topic. The the thing is, Todd is still using Yamamoto more than he ever did Puliyarvi, which which to me means he must believe that Yamamoto is already at a more advanced level in mm-hmm. terms of how much he can trust him. So, I. I I think Todd will use the younger guys if he feels he can trust them. So I don't think he felt Puliyarvi was close enough to that threshold that he could play him more than the you know the six to nine minutes he he was playing. But I, I I understand what you're saying. If you put the guy with better players and say, look, go out there, mess up, but as long as you're making progress, you're going to keep playing. I I just don't think that there, there's clearly more trust with Yamamoto than there yeah. ever was with Puliyarvi, even after the 35 games or whatever it was he played. Because if the guy's ranked like third overall, why would you want him on the fourth line? And I only went to one game this year, and I saw yes, when he scored two goals. And when he was out with McDavid, he was a very different player. I mean, he all of a sudden had more jump in his legs. He wasn't as tired. But I think anybody that plays with Connor McDavid, you're going to improve more with him than you are playing in the binders or or back in junior. Well, that pass he made to McDavid in that preseason game was was more impressive than the two goals he scored, and I'm not trying to diminish the goals. Yeah. But that showed that he has that shows that he has the ability to read the ice and make creative plays. But I, I think there was a lot of stuff with him forechecking and around the net that wasn't as effective or as consistent as Yamamoto has been. That's how I would assess the two players. Yeah, I just think that I'm starting to question the thought process of like sending guys to the minors like Detroit did because I think the game after that young that youngsters those under 20 cores did so well I think that changed the game more than anything because the fact now we have such sophisticated defense that can ha- 
handle the puck at such high rates of speed and make all their plays at high speed, retreat pucks at high speed, and how well those young guys did, I think that now guys are going to be breaking into NHL at 18 more and more often because they, you don't have to be as big and strong now. You're not going to take a beating. And because 25 years ago, Yamamoto probably wouldn't even play in the Western Hockey League, never mind NHL. Jared, I always appreciate your call, buddy. We'll probably talk to you after the game, okay? Okay, Reed. Have a good evening. Yep, that's Jared, 780-496-0063. Let's do this, Dustin. Let's do uh, the break now, and then we'll come back with everybody's quarterback, Mike Riley. This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chat. The kick by Long, it's high and into the corner on the far side. Zilstra bobbles it and it's free, picked up by the Lions. Touchdown, BC. Motion starts. Jennings, deep drop and then throws. Touchdown, BC. To Brian Burnham. O'Reilly. He throws. There it is. Bowman, touchdown, Eskimos. A Darius Bowman. You forgot about him? He's back. Touchdown for the Eskimos. So with 36 seconds to go, the Eskimos going for a two-point convert to tie this football game up. There's the snap to Mike Riley. He looks and throws. Two-point convert's good. Brandon Zilser with the reception. It is 29-29. Riley throws. He's got a man open. Corey Watson going to get to the end zone. He does. Dives in. Touchdown, Eskimos. Corey Watson gives the Eskimos the lead. There's the football. Pressure's coming again. Jennings throws up into the air. Incomplete. Eskimos win it. Eskimos win it. That's three straight for the Eskimos. They come from behind to win again in Vancouver. They don't do anything the easy way. Another thrilling victory for the Edmonton Eskimos. 35-29. Well, that was the stunner on Saturday. Eskimos in BC. They're now getting ready to host Calgary this coming Saturday. And the man who will try to knock off the stamps and who engineered the comeback against the Lions, quarterback Mike Riley joins us now. Mike, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's good to have you on. Before I launch into the uh, the meat of the interview here, Mike, I just want to say something. I, I double-checked the rules of football, and you're actually allowed to score in the second and third quarter. You, you don't only have to do it in the first and the fourth. I'll just, just give you an update there. <laughs> Well, I appreciate the heads up. I actually was uh, I was planning on starting this interview out strong, uh, not saying anything in the middle, and then uh, killing it at the end as well. So that's just kind of how I roll. <laughs> oh, that's incredible! Uh, look, I, I know you. Know, I know you. You're not a guy who looks back a lot, but I, I haven't had you on the show since you played that game in BC. Uh, I, I mean, just to take me through the last four minutes in overtime against the Lions because I, I talked to a lot of Eskimo fans and the, the hope was dwindling with the fan base a bit, but I guess not on the sideline and on the field. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a crazy finish of the game. Excuse me. You know, it, it's one... Uh, we've obviously had quite a few comeback victories over the four or five years that I've been here, but, um, you know, that, that one ranks right up there, um, you know, in terms of not having any room for error. Um, you know, I felt like we had been, we started out the game really well, actually. Um, offensively, you know, we were we were executing well. We were very effective against what they were doing. Um, you know, came up a little bit short on a couple of drives. I think settled for a field goal on one of them. Um, but we were winning the field position battle. And then we, we marched down and punched one in for a touchdown, finally, right before the end of that first quarter. So had a good feeling about things. Uh, you know, I thought we were all seeing, seeing it together really well. Um, you know, playing on the same page. And then the second and third quarter obviously didn't go nearly as well for us. Um, 
you know, and after watching the film of the game, um, it, it wasn't major errors here and there. We just we had a couple of penalties that set us back a little bit um, and had a couple of opportunities on second down to keep drives going and, and missed, whether it was a misread, misthrow, um, or just the defense making a good play. You know, they they played pretty well throughout that little stretch as well. Uh, they had some good pressures dialed up and things like that. Um, you know, but as we got into the fourth quarter, um, you know, it, it becomes – a pretty clear situation that uh, it's time to get going or or this game's going to end with a loss. And, uh, you know, we got sparked a little bit. Darius caught a ball across the middle. I think he got their defense on their heels a little bit. And uh, one or two plays later, we hit Darrell down the sideline to get us to the one-yard line. That was an amazing catch by him. Um, you know, and, and really, from that point on, from the time that Darius caught that ball, um, we were pretty much executing to near perfection. I mean, I, I don't even know if there was anything that we missed uh, in terms of, you know, depths, location of routes, protections, reads, throws, catches, all that type of stuff. Um, you know, we were just kind of chugging along like a, a finely tuned machine. Um, you know, and that's that's what we needed because of, of the hole that we had dug ourselves a little bit there. But, um, you know, yeah, at that point in time, when you need two touchdowns and two two-point converts just to tie things up, uh, you, you know, you can't miss one if you do. The game's going to be over. So our guys did a great job in that stretch. And, and I, I suppose uh, everybody who had uh, been setting aside a chair for Darius Bowman at the old folks' home needs to maybe sit back for a little while, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. You know, I mean, this is this is an interesting game, football is. You know, you... you you can have all the talent in the world and there can be, you know, and you can play great, but certain games just don't work out. Um, whether it's based on what the defense has given you, um, you know, or just some unfortunate things. And I'm sure Darius would probably put it on his shoulders and say that, you know, he, he hadn't been playing up to his own expectations for a number of weeks, but that's tough to do when you're coming back from a stretch off with injury and the offense has evolved quite a bit from, from what you're used to seeing before your injury and in years previous, you know, it, it always used to be such a huge load on his shoulders that, you know, the ball was going to go through him every single time, no matter what. And, uh, you know, based on the injuries, not just to him, but to everybody else that we've had throughout the course of the season, you know, we've, we've had a lot of guys step in and play great. Um, you know, and we've had to distribute the ball uh, more equally across the field to be successful. And so, you know, he was stepping into a much different offense. And, you know, credit to him that, you know, he never got down and he just kept coming to work every day and trying to figure things out and get better. But, you know, I think we all knew within this building that it was a matter of time before he just got on track. And, um, you know, it was good to get him the ball on that first play of the game. I think, uh, you know, that's a confidence booster for him. Uh, gets everybody else in the offense excited. And, uh, you know, he had a great game he he really did um you know and that's what we're used to seeing here for so many years in edmonton um and there's plenty more of those to come i mean that that uh that was not a one-off or an anomaly uh for him to play that way that's just what you know we've been sitting around waiting for that jump start and he got it going and that's great for us for this part of the season Eskimos quarterback Mike Riley joining us on Inside Sports. Of course, the Eskimos host Calgary on Saturday. We'll have it for you with the kickoff at 5 here on 6.30, Chet. Look, uh, you, you know about the rivalry. You know that uh, except for 14, uh, or sorry, sorry, except for 2015, Calgary's been more successful against the Eskimos than the other way around. They're 13-2-1. What, 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 what does a matchup against the Stampeders mean to you, given, given the history? and the way this season has progressed? Well, I mean, to be honest with you, the history doesn't mean anything to me. Um, 
you know, you've said at the beginning, I'm not a guy that looks looks to the past too often. And, and of course, there's there's things to be learned from the past. There's film to be watched the last times that we played them. And yeah, they've they've certainly got the best of us more often than not. Um, but the reality is that last year in the rematch game and this year in the rematch game, those were games that we could have and probably should have won. We just didn't make the plays at the end of the game, and they did. And they walked out of here with a victory in overtime last year. And uh, you know, in the final minute or two of the game this year. So it's not like we have to go out there and do anything extraordinary. We go out there and, and play our brand of football and play it the best that we can. We'll be just fine. We'll come away with a win. But Calgary is always a team that uh, will make you pay for your mistakes. And, you know, they're a team that, for their record being what it is, they've had, uh, you know, a number of games where it's been blowout victories. You know, I just remember them putting up like 60 against Hamilton, um, you know, and they had another pretty lopsided win. But they've also had a number of games that have come down to the wire. They played Hamilton again, and they get, you know, the pass interference call to kick a field goal with no time on the clock to win the football game. And obviously uh, Saskatchewan got the better of them this past week. So, um, you know, it's more even across the board around this league probably than people think. Um, again, it's just a matter of, of a team not hurting themselves which Calgary is is probably better than anybody at, at uh, making sure that they don't hurt themselves with dumb penalties or turnovers or things of that nature. And the other part of it is, is you know, they're very good at um, having explosive plays through their special teams and things like that. They've got a number of touchdowns in the kick return game. So those are all things you have to be aware of. But at the end of the day, you know, you're, we know we're coming out and playing against probably, I haven't looked at the numbers, but I assume statistically probably the best defense in the league. Um, their defense has been playing at a high level all year year long and um you know we've we played them pretty well the last time that they came into commonwealth um in terms of moving the ball and being effective in that regard but we didn't put up enough points so it's going to be all about that finishing in the red zone when you get the opportunity um you know and matching them in their style of play in the sense of not not making stupid mistakes not turning the ball over not getting explosive plays in special teams and things like that if you can do that um you know you're going to have a good chance to win the game Mike, just one more for you. I, I, and I know C.J. Gable didn't play the uh, most recent game against the Lions, but he played the uh, the previous two. And you have you've had a lot of running backs this year, unfortunately, because of mostly because of injuries. Can you give us a sense of of what C.J. brings to the team? I, I don't know if there's uh, you know direct uh, diff- things he does differently than other guys, but he seems to have been pretty effective. What what makes him effective so far as an Eskimo? Yeah, he's been a great addition to our team. Um, you know, he's just come in and played very consistently. He's a guy that um, is is effective running the football. There's no question about it. I think we've all seen him um, carry a pile 10 yards down the field or, or further. Um, but he's got good vision. You know, when he hits the gaps, he sees the run lanes. He sets his, he sets his alignment up on their blocks really well. Um, and he's a guy that when you hand a ball off, you pretty much know you're not going to get negative yardage. If you hand it off on first down and it's not a good run, not a good look for it you're going to be sitting in probably second and seven where you know most other guys around the league with the exception of a few you know you're sitting at second and ten and second and seven is a lot easier than second and ten and if we do have a good look for the run he's going to break and get 10 12 yards and move the chains and things like that so that's that's a huge help um but probably his best attribute is is in the in the blocking scheme in the pass blocking you know he's aggressive he understands the protections he meets guys at the line of scrimmage uh, which uh you know is great 
in keeping the integrity of the pocket and allowing me to have the time to be able to get through my reads and throw the football. And then when we can get him out of the backfield, he's uh, he's dangerous as a, as a receiver as well. So there's not a lot of weaknesses, if any, in his game. Um, and, and again, probably the best thing is that he's just very consistent. You know, you're not going to go through a game with a bunch of ups and downs where he's going to do something great one time and then totally blow an assignment the next time. You know, he's going to be there doing what he needs to do every single play. And I think a lot of that has to do not just with his ability, but his experience. You know, he's, he's a veteran. He's been around, played a lot of football. Um, you know, so when, when the lights are on, you know, he's going to make sure that's when he's playing his best. Mike, looking forward to the Battle of Alberta on Saturday. Thanks so much for joining us on Inside Sports. Always love to have you on the show. All the best, man. Absolutely. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Mike Riley, Eskimos quarterback, checking in Saturday, 3.30, countdown to kickoff. The game will start at 5 here on Ched. Eskimos home to the Stamps. Then at 8, we'll go right over to Rogers Place for the Capitals and the Oilers. I want to remind you, some guests on Inside Sports get gift certificates to Northern Chicken, beer, bourbon, and chicken. Order takeout or delivery for hockey games at Skip the Dishes. Love Northern Chicken, 124th Street, 107th Avenue. NHL tonight, just two games. Flames and Blues in a 1-1 tie after the first period. Backlund and Steen are the goal scorers. The Blue Jackets lead the Sabres 1-0 after 20 minutes. Bjorkstrand has the goal for Columbus. World Series tonight. Top of the third. Houston and Los Angeles are scoreless. Of course, L.A. won a very swiftly played Game 1. Fastest World Series game since the 1990s. 3-1 last night. Speaking of the Houston Astros, this is going to be fun. One of the greatest Canadian big leaguers of all time from Melville, Saskatchewan. Terry Poole is going to join us and helping me do the interview from Melville, Saskatchewan. Global Television's Kevin Carius. That's coming up after the 7 o'clock news. We'll also tell you about something really cool that 6.30 Chet Santa's Anonymous is doing this weekend, and we'll let you know how you can help. Inside Sports, 6.30 Chet, back after the news. Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.